0: Hi, welcome to Season 10. We're talking about pricing. And uh, there's just so much to talk about. We're, we're going to get into this in a moment. I'm Mary Abazia. With me is Tom Spitali and Sean Wellen, and sometimes Sean's dog. And uh, so uh, pricing is uh, one of those big levers that after you get done with strategy, you're able to um, to really make your strategy come alive or kill it sometimes. So we're going to talk about different Pricing models and all these different options that we've we've seen and what you may want to consider. So, uh, Sean, do you want to kick us off with this?
1: Yeah. Well, I think we said earlier in this season that the the pricing is is the ultimate expression of the value that you've created. So, if all of marketing is about creating that customer value, pricing is where we get to extract some of that value and find that right balance. And I think we've also said there's two two bad things that you can do with pricing. One is is, is price too high and lose yourself market share and potential revenue, or you can price too low and leave a ton of profit on the table. So finding that perfect price has has been a strategic challenge for businesses ever since we've had businesses. It is so fundamental. Um, And what we want to talk about today is, is breaking that down into some of the strategic initiatives around price. And I want to start by talking about the different pricing models that are out there. This is when you you reach a decision as to how you're going to charge, what the unit of price is. Once you've established that, there's a ton of other strategic initiatives about how you might seek to, to maximize your, your profit with that price, how you might think in terms of the customer's choices and the value you're providing. But before we get to that, we start with the pricing models. And it used to be pretty simple. You would have a product. You would sell it to someone else for a fair exchange. They would pay you the money, and the world turned. The early days of trade and commerce were just simply transactions like that. Of course, the world changes, and now we have we have different models. And that's some of the things that I want to try and get out on the table, what sorts of models are out there. I mean, we can have people that pay subscriptions. We can have people that pay on a, a pay-per basis, whatever that per is. We can have people that pay... Um, on, a, uh, on a on a mix of products, a sort of bundle or, or, or what have you. So I guess my first question out there is: is, is what are the main pricing models that, that we see, particularly in our technical scientific B two B world that we predominantly live in? What sort of models are we seeing out there? Not counting the standard: here's the product, here's your price, pay in pay in 30 days.
2: There's actually quite a few of them, and I guess as I, I think about them they fall into two like sort of overarching categories. And both of them, like everything we look at are driven by customer needs. We're in this period, it's time, of great technological change. And what that does to to customers is one, it makes them a bit leery of change, you know, And, and, and sometimes the technologies are, are, are so are so new and require such a perceived risk of customers, you have to kind of like lower their risk with the particular pricing approach. But the other thing is this desire to take advantage of the technological changes that are happening in the marketplace and not be penalized for buying something today when you know tomorrow's version might be better. And so there's a, an, another set of pricing models that we see that are meant to address that, right? So the, the risk-reducing strategies that we see, um, one of them has been around forever, kind of the razor and razor blades model, <laughs> where you kind of like give away, you know, certain elements of an offer for for free um, in, in order to get, you know, people kind of used to using your products and services and you charge them for something else that's maybe more significant. We'll talk about some of those in a minute.
0: I I want to add to what you're saying on that one because you know we think of a razor razor blade or the electric toothbrush but um, in a B2B world the most extreme example that we've seen is a huge jet engine which one of the wonderful industrial companies gave away for free because they made up all their money on the servicing of, the, of them over a 20 year period. And so, you know, just, just so that there's application, if you're listening and you have you know, uh, something that's very industrial, that razor, razor blade model can, can work and does work very, very well with the right set of customers and in the right conditions.
1: Yeah. yeah. And the key is a great point, Mary, because people tend to think we're not Gillette. We're not selling uh, other razors are available, I should say, but we're not we're not selling that kind of product. But it, it broadens out into different categories, printers and printer ink, famously um, games, consoles and the games that went in. And that's changing a little bit because of, of downloadable games and the the, the actual physical games are no longer such a, maybe such a profit center. But you've always got to look at, at not only, as you said, Mary, what elements are, are the long-term revenue streams and is locking those in sufficient to justify a discount or the <laughs> ultimate discount by making it free um, at, at, at the beginning. And also what risk, because if you don't have a good contract, right? If you, if when I buy my HP printer, I don't sign a contract and I'm only going to buy HP inks for the rest of forever. And ultimately, if HP start to charge too much for their printer ink, I'm going to find another supplier that makes HP compatible. So you've got to make sure that when you do split that model into those components, you're not leaving yourself massively vulnerable, and you're not also seeing as an opportunity to, to really screw the market over by overcharging because that's not long term sustainable. So those models they've been around forever but and they're great but hidden dangers and hidden opportunities, right?
2: Yep. I think it seems like the attractiveness of this model comes in business B2B businesses that we deal with that have you know basically a significant significant margins on servicing, right? They're just, you know, if I could just get that long term servicing contract like airlines or, you know, commercial HVAC, right. Um, you know, that, that I will be, I'll be doing reasonably well. So maybe I. Or own. replacement
0: or, or you have, you know, on our medical device friends that have, you know, a main component and there's a disposable portion of the, of, right. you know, of what they're doing, then that's, you know, another, another great application.
1: Yeah. So it's consumables or service services, Are two, two big areas where you can have a, a sort of mothership of a product. And then the, the periphery is, is either a consumable or, or a service. And if you have, if you have that, then it's definitely worth considering how you might think of this model working for you.
2: So so yeah, so that's like our first one in the category of kind of like reduced risk. The other one is called freemium. Freemium, and I think probably all of us have experienced this where. And, and, and this seems to be um, really prevalent in software businesses, but you know, there's other businesses too where we've seen it, where you give away a certain level of functionality you know, for free, but you hold back um, you know, certain advanced levels of functionality that you think people might want once they get to, to start to use uh, your product. So again, it's a risk reducing uh, kind of strategy.
0: Yeah, especially video games. You see it in that a lot. You know, you get to a point and they hook it with the kids. I mean, it actually becomes pretty dangerous because, you know, it's like, oh, I need to now buy in to get those extra coins that I can then buy a new kingdom, (laughs) whatever it is. So, I mean, the extreme of that is, you know, how the software industry has been, you know, using that as an incentive.
1: It's another one of those fine lines, isn't it? Because you've got the, the, the pure freemium model. Is Here's, here's a lower-functioning version of the product that's suitable for many people. If you want the higher-functioning product that's more suitable for you, you, you pay for it. So it's, it's both a, a little bit of a free test, and, and it works sufficiently for a number of people. Zoom. Uh, which we're all used to now, the Zoom you know, free model allows you to have so many people on the call, as allows so much length of time on the call. And if you want to have a, a functioning one where you've got a business to run and you want to have 20 people on a call and you want it to last for an hour and a half, which a lot of these calls <laughs> seem to do, or they feel like they do, then you, you charge the, the the extra price. And, of course, it's not just free plus the potential to upgrade. And you mentioned the video games, Mary. A lot of those are expensive to start with, and then they have downloadable content. That's a sort of discriminatory pricing in some ways. Of saying, look, everybody wants to buy the new game, but there's a hardcore that will really want to buy the extra downloadable content. And that, that way we can service two markets. You know, We can say, look, you want the game, it's 50 bucks or whatever games cost but you want to have the extra bits and pieces. They're going to cost you a few dollars here, a few dollars there. And it's similar to the, the, the first business model, right? They're going to make a lot more money on the markups, but to a smaller audience. It's a way to discriminate in across your audience with products that only a few will want to buy.
0: Yeah, so, you know what uh, like, um, I've seen this work really well is we when we work with associations that have, like they would charge all their members one flat rate And then what they did was, I mean, of course, you know, the people that really were using a lot, you know, it was a deal. And the ones that weren't using it much, it was like, we're leaving this. And so what they came up with was three tiers, which the first one was free. So it would still attract new members. The next one that you could buy up into was, you know, you could have a certain level of participation. You get a certain amount of information information. And then there was a third tier, kind of if you think about even like Starbucks or any fast food place, you got the small, medium, large. That's what they have. They treated that premium. It was the entry point then for the next second level. And then, of course, there was a Cadillac version that you could really buy up into. So mm. you can you can really take that premium to some interesting levels.
2: Well, you know where I see it in B2B a lot, the freemium, is um, businesses where there's like a, a, whether it's machinery or any kind of equipment where um, they're implementing remote monitoring, okay? So there's like this large installed base of, of machinery, and a lot of companies have now the ability to put some kind of technology on those machines so that back at, at, the, at, the, at the office, you know, the, the central office of the, of the manufacturer, they can monitor. And what's happening is that um, many businesses that have this installed machinery, they're, they're, they're like, yeah, I'm happy for you to put that on my, uh, on my machine. Just don't charge me for it. I don't want to pay for it. And, and it's a, it's a little bit of a dilemma because they, the, the users of the machinery haven't seen the, the, um, the advantages yet of that remote monitoring, the predictive maintenance and all of that. And so I see premium a lot where these companies are saying, well, there's a certain level of functionality and monitoring that I will provide for you for free. And I'm going to show you, I'm going to show you what the, the benefit of this is. And then they they go back later, they show the benefits of it, and then they they, they sell the, the deal with the customer having a new appreciation for its value. So uh, I think maybe we'll move on to the to the other category. So this was the category. So one,
1: one, one thing, Tom, yeah. I just want to come back on that because I think it's interesting that, that technology has enabled a whole different approach to that model as well because you, you will have the ability to have inherently built into a product a functionality that, that isn't turned on at very little manufacturing cost. So you could say, yeah, You think of a car. You've bought a new car, and for some reason, you don't have inbuilt sat-nav. But it's an integral part of the, these new electric cars that are that are all software-driven. And at any time, you can say, hey, can I get the... the, the normally, when you buy a car, you choose your options, and that's it. You're done for the next two years. That's the car you've chosen. You can turn things on. Yeah. Anything with a technolog- technological aspect to it, has the ability to build latency within the product for future enhancements and then sell those. So another version of, of freemium is to say, no, it's already in there. You just need to pay us an extra $5 a month and you can activate this. And that can go across medical devices, personal devices, even some forms of software. You know, The software just needs the right code to say, yeah, now, now allow this functionality, the physicality of upgrading is no longer an issue for many products. And everyone should be thinking about what 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 latent upgrades can they build into stuff that, that is literally just 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 flicking a switch in, in in some way.
2: Yeah. And I think both of these things that we've talked about, razor, uh, razor blade method, freemium models are both addressing a customer need where you have these technologies that customers aren't convinced are valuable yet. So you're trying to find a way. To get them exposure so that later on you can, as you just said, Sean, turn on the functionality or charge them for it later. But the other, the other category I think that we should talk about is where the customers are convinced of the functionality, right, of, of, of the value of a piece of technology. Their, their, their worry is that it's changing so fast that uh, if I buy today, you know, when do I make a decision? Because if I buy today, it's going to be obsolete tomorrow. There's going to be a better version tomorrow. And that's where you get into things like the all um, important and popular subscription models and, and things like, you know, leases, things that, um, that companies are using to allow you to take advantage of advances in technologies or offerings as long as you're paying that monthly, uh, that monthly fee.
1: Yeah. It's like regular software updates, right? These days, you 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 used to pay a license for a software, and a new version would come out. You'd have to pay the upgrade, or just use the old version until it became no longer fit for purpose, and then you would go and upgrade. With a subscription model, you you get these notifications, like your 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 well, let's choose Microsoft because so many people will have Microsoft subscriptions. Uh, you know, your your PowerPoint, your Excel has been updated. You don't longer have to wait for the new version. Every new improvement is just pushed out to you. And that's one of the reasons they would sell the, say the value of having a subscription model is that you no longer have to worry about obsolescence because it's software. We can always just add the code and shoot it down the wires and and you've, uh, you've got it. So you you
0: see it a lot in Amazon. And what I thought was interesting about the way they do subscription is, is you might have something you can buy for $32. But if you, if you agree to do a subscription that drops down to maybe $28 or $25. So they show you the value of signing up for a monthly renewal of some type. And they have our consumption patterns, you know, especially as AI becomes stronger and stronger. So it's almost like they're doing you a favor. It's like, we know when you're going to run out of that toothpaste. So, you know, we'll take care of it. So it's not just about, you know, charging you monthly, but we're going to manage the way that you buy so that you have it when you need it. And you don't technically have too much. Although I think I still am paying for magazine subscriptions that I bought several times and uh, never knew how to, get out of. So I think that's the
1: downside of the That's the, the dark side of subscriptions. Is hope, hopefully most of them will forget it's only $5 a week, you know, that they won't notice it going out the bank account. We've all done that though. One of those moments where you think I must check my finances, you think, and you don't even know what the direct debit is. It's like a bunch of like, who is this I'm giving $7 a month to? And you figure out <laughs> it's the jelly of the month club that you've not been involved in. for you know.
2: It keeps on giving all year long. I, I think there's a whole topic on trust, and how you can manage subscriptions at, on another another call because that breakage is something that a lot of companies are raking in and uh, you know not when, when somebody finds out they've been paying for something they're not using and the company hasn't notified them that can kind of diminish the customer relationship yeah, that's, yeah. that's a whole topic for for another an, another time i think the interesting thing about subscription models it becomes more complicated. It, the, the, the bigger the ticket becomes in B2B, you know, um, bigger the item, the bigger the sale, but the real attractiveness, and it's something that the software companies have now kind of transitioned to is a subscription model uh, in a B2B business can um, smooth out your your gaps in your earnings, right? You've got these big hits when somebody buys that you know, windmill, you know, or that jet engine, if you're selling it in a traditional way. And then you have these, you know, large gaps, you know, punctuated by these long sales cycles. And, you know, it happened to this, that's what was happening to software companies too. Every time they came up with an upgrade, they'd have these big bumps in revenue and then these long troughs where there wasn't as much revenue. And as they transitioned over to software as a service, they were able to even that out over time. And, uh, and, and it's a real attractive business model because the money keeps coming in. But in b you know, the bigger ticket items, it, it can be really attractive. if You can figure out a way to do it with <laughs> windmills and jet engines and, and
1: yeah. So, yeah, so something. There's, there's one more pricing model I want to talk about before we go. And also, you know, remind everyone that this is just the, the, the structure of how we price, how we seek to enhance and, and maximize our pricing for 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 profitable effect is what we'll talk about on the next the next call. But the the, the final model I want to get to is the pay per model, uh, pay per view, pay per mile, pay per minute. You know the phone contracts used to be pay per minute, pay per gigabyte of data. If there's an incremental consumption unit that you can you can build your pricing around that can make sure that people feel they're getting fairly charged because they're being paid based on that they, they, they expect to pay more if they use the product more and they expect to pay less if they use it less, but it's spread into different models that you wouldn't necessarily think so. For example, um, uh, tires for trucks that are used for uh, the, the delivery, the ones that go cross country, the big semi-trucks, often now those are those are charged at price per mile the manufacturers charge the operators price per mile not price per tire they know how long that tire is going to last and it creates the the cost is related to the activity of the user which back to your smoothing comment tom works from a from a buyer's perspective as well Um, price per hour of jet engine operation. You know, we don't charge maintenance per event. We say that we'll charge you so many dollars per hour that this engine is on a plane and is working, and that is your maintenance. Um, all those pr- pay per is another way to think about what is the incremental charging unit you could conceive in your business, and is that a way to uh, to to price a little smarter and make everybody happy, consumers as well as you as the producer. So that's the final one. Is, I want to-
0: um- we're going to pick up on this. Um, We obviously have a lot more to go. We have um, many more business models that we want to talk about and actually some more examples of the paper on our next episode. We hope that uh, you have even a couple of new ideas on how you might think about pricing your products or services. And anywhere you find your podcasts, um, we are there. So thank you.